You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee. Glad to be with you on this bright and shining Kansas day or wherever you are. Hope it's bright and shining. I'm actually drinking my third cup of coffee right now, which it feels good to hit that mark, not come to you in a false sense, calling it the third cup of coffee and drinking my second or my fourth. This just seems seems congruent, and I like that. I'm using uh, a mug we've had around the house for a while now. It's got a set of headphones on it, and it says, Beats, not bombs. Beats, not bombs. I, I looked at this cup. I don't know where it came from. I have no idea. It looks like, uh, it looks like Bernie swag is what it looks like. I have no idea how we would have got Bernie swag, but whatever. This cup says beats, not bombs. And as I poured the coffee, I thought, who on earth has ever been given that choice? Like who on earth has ever, in the face of being bombed, asked, could I just have some beats? Like under what circumstances is beats, not bombs, even relevant? I don't know. This is what happens when people think they've found simple answers to things. Okay? They break down really quickly. Difficult questions, answers are almost never simple. Definitely not beats versus bombs. We were never given that choice. Nobody was given that choice. I am on a teaching break, as you know, uh, four weeks where we are using some of the voices from within the bridge, and uh, it has been fantastic. I took the opportunity the very first week to actually get out of town by myself, go spend some time in prayer. Uh, go and just uh, be quiet before the Lord. Had some really tremendous times with the Lord. Also got in some great hiking. Uh, I went to Colorado, and I went to go hike in, uh, what's it called, the Spruce Mountain uh, Wilderness Area. Or I don't know. It, it sound, you can see it from the highway, so let's not pretend that you know I was in the outback. But it had a great name. But, but I got there, and the parking lot was full. And so they refer you to the Spring Meadow parking lot. Well, the Spring Meadow parking lot's about a mile across the prairie because we're on the front range. We're just going right into the mountains here. So I go park in the Spruce Meadow parking lot, and I start my hike with a mile across the open plains of just sun beating down on me and uh, then got to where I actually wanted to hike, which was the Spruce Mountain area, and I start climbing, and I climb pretty far. I mean, I pretty good hike. It, I mean, it's a path. It's not like I'm bouldering, okay, but, I, but it's rocky, and it's kind of rough, and I'm feeling pretty good about my 54-year-old self because at this point, I'm two and a half miles into this hike, and, and I'm doing well, and uh, it's, again, it's getting a little bit technical, and I'm being careful, and I come around a corner, and there's a pile of horse poop. As proud as I am as having gotten up here on foot, somebody has ridden a horse up here already. And about the time I get over that, I come around a corner and I meet a family with two small children who have done the same thing, except they're coming from the other direction, which means I'm two and a half miles into the hike. They're already six miles into the hike. I was instantly deflated. It's just like all the wind out of my sails. It's like... You think that you've become Mr. Wilderness. You're out for a walk. There's a kid out here in Crocs who has climbed this thing. Do not act like you are something that you are not. So, lesson being there. While I was gone, Jeff Page spoke at the bridge. Jeff is uh, one of our folks who's been with us uh, almost from day one. He and his wife, Kelly, great folks. He uh, works in retail, but also uh, teaches with great clarity. And I was so excited to invite him. 
And uh, he said yes, and it was so good, and I was loving it. I actually watched it from uh, within sight of Pike's Peak because I was in Colorado. So I sat there watching it on an iPad, and I am loving it, and it's so good, and I'm learning, and I'm loving that Jeff is killing it, and all of a sudden the web stream goes, I mean, just quits. Now, if you saw our web stream, the back end of it, none of this would surprise you. It is, there's duct tape, there's chewing gum, and then there are some less professional elements as well. But it's just really... I'm more surprised when we press the button and it works, but it's never actually not worked until mm, 20 minutes into Jeff's message. And so I was devastated because I wanted to hear the rest of it. And I, it was awesome from what I heard. I have no idea because the web stream died. With the web stream dying, also the recording died. And so what we have are the first 20 minutes of what was a longer phenomenal message that I'm going to have to go get coffee with Jeff and have him preach to me, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do for you. But I, I didn't want you to miss the part that I heard. So here we go. First 20 minutes of Jeff Page's message on the Ancient of Days. Stay with us. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, incredibly grateful uh, to be here, and I'm really excited for this month as well, uh, and to be a part of, of Voices, uh, as some of us get a chance to speak, but I think, honestly, one of the most important pieces of this is it's giving Randy a little bit of a break, uh, and so I'm really excited uh, to, to just get to participate and, and be a part of whatever I can. So, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joel Richardson spoke here, and if you haven't checked that out, get that in your ears really quick, because uh, it was really, really great. But he started by talking a little bit about, like, why he was qualified to be up here, um, and it was impressive. I have none of those things. I, I don't know why. Uh, a lot of you don't even really know me. Uh, I am up here because Randy asked me to, and he did not know what he was getting. So that is why I am here. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate, though, uh, just to, to share with you a little bit uh, about this, because like even Randy earlier in the week, he was asking me because he sends out the communication. He's like, what are you going to talk about? You know, because I think he's just trying to gauge the waters. And uh, and I actually joked with him that I was going to just make it, oh, you know, hidden enemies, why your pet is the Antichrist. And um, and he was like, oh, you should go with that. So he's he's clearly a man led by the spirit. I'm, I'm very excited to know him. Um, so my wife Kelly and I uh, have been in Kansas City since uh, 2006, uh, so we've been here for a bit. Before that, we were in Memphis. Uh, we lived there for a number of years. Uh, my wife is from Memphis. She would say that she is from Texas, uh, and I would say my wife is always right. So that is where we are at. We are going to stick with Texas in more ways than one recently. Um, and I, uh, we, we were there for a little bit and I, uh, while we were there, we were kind of trying to figure life out and I decided to go into ministry. Uh, I, I went to seminary and I got the degree and I worked for a church. Uh, I had been working for a church for some time and really loved those people still do, um, had built some really great relationships. Uh, but I also realized that I was working for a church, 
Um, and I was going to seminary. My wife and I were actually living on the campus of the seminary at the time, and I realized that everybody in my life was saved. Like, I, I wasn't really interacting with the world much. I was kind of in this bubble, and I'd heard a, I'd read some article about some pastor up in Chicago who had, like, worked at a coffee house while he was working for this giant megachurch, and I thought, well, I'll try that. I wasn't at a giant megachurch or anything, but I thought I would give that a shot, and I really loved doing that and, and things started to develop in that space. So I ended up moving into the marketplace completely uh, full time after uh, a couple of years. And so worked in a coffee house for a bit. My wife and I felt drawn to come to Kansas City. Um, and I was even prepared when we moved to, to KC to perhaps even, you know, quit the marketplace, go back into ministry, figure out that whole thing. Uh, but I felt really strongly burdened by the Lord to stay in the marketplace. So we moved to Kansas City. Uh, I stayed. I was still working at a coffee house. Uh, and then, and now I work in retail. And, and I, I do love what I do. And I love being a part of that culture. Um, over the years that we've been here, uh, you know, our, it's very strange, our relationship with the bridge, because I feel like our paths have sort of crossed uh, peripherally some several times, like over even the years, even pre-Kansas City. Like I, we, we figured out, Randy and I figured out that uh, my wife and I visited uh, Cincinnati Vineyard and got prayed over from a guy like while him and Kelsey were in Cincinnati at that church and like just crossing paths, never met them there, but just little moments of time. Uh, there are people who regularly frequent here Sunday mornings who have worked for me, and we're not connected because of the bridge. We just happened to cross paths again. When Kelly and I moved to Kansas City for the first time, and I realized I was going to stay in the marketplace and be a Christian leader in the marketplace, the first man, the first, the first man who prayed over me was Bruce Jackman. Um, he's, he was like one of the first people I met in town, really. Um, and uh, that's huge for me. Like, there's just weird connections that have happened over the years. And because of that, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, a thrilled, to, I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Um, and I'm, I'm just very grateful uh, for the opportunity. Um, we have had uh, an interesting, like, past few months like everybody else. And, and one of the things that has really hit me pretty hard uh, is I, I got really driven into the, the book of Daniel uh, several months ago. It was kind of as uh, the bridge had moved here to the culture house for the, for the first time. We've only been here like four months, y'all. Like this, it's just, it feels like it's been for so much longer. Um, but when we first moved here, it was kind of at a really important time in my life. And I, and I got moved uh, to the book of Daniel. So um, if you got your Bibles with you, please open to Daniel 7. I'm not talking about pets and antichrists and stuff, I promise. Um, but I, uh, I do want us to, to get there. Uh, I, I got really uh, thrown into this entire book, uh, but I keep getting trapped uh, in the book of Daniel, it's, it's, it's specifically Daniel chapter 7. And so before we, before we dig into this, I, I just wanted to kind of talk about like, you know, we're, we're, we're not really going to talk about the rest of Daniel. We're going to talk about a little chunk in chapter 7. There's a significant amount of information that is in all of the chapters uh, of Daniel. And uh, this one section I, I just I want to land on, um, and if you've, if you've looked at the, the emails this week, I, I'm really fascinated by the Ancient of Days. I'm really fascinated by this scene that Daniel sees. 
So if you, if you look, just the first verse of Daniel 7 says, in the first year of King Belshazzar. And, and so if you, we know from that, that kind of the timing of this in Daniel's life. So this is a man who was probably in his late 60s or so, and he was in captivity for, for most of his life. I'll, I'll be 50 next year. And so that means that Daniel, at this point when he is seeing this vision, has been in captivity for longer than I've currently been alive, probably. And that's an amazing thing to me because before you get to Daniel 7, you got to look at chapters 1 through 6. And we're not going to dig into those obviously right now, but I, I want to be really clear that this is a man who was faithful. He was called righteous by other like contemporary prophets. Like this is a man who stood the course. And as a man who is working in the marketplace and is often working alongside and for people who are not completely on the same page as me, it's really important that a man can stay faithful in an environment where he's surrounded by everything that's telling him to not be faithful. So that's really important to me. So I like to pay attention a lot to those first six chapters because it gives me a bit of an idea of how that works. So we get to Daniel 7. And we find out where it is. Now, we're not going to, you know, he has this dream, and it's a troubling dream, and it's a very important dream that we are not going to talk about today. <laughs> um, but I do, you know, you can't forget the dream because he's seeing this really troubling event. And then he sees this in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. So I want to talk about a few of the things that we're seeing uh, here because this throne room that Daniel is seeing, it's in other places in Scripture. We, we see a lot of different mentions of it and descriptions of it. And so it's really worth getting fascinated with this scene. Uh, if, if you've not dug into it, if you've not pondered it, it is worth taking the time and digging into and really kind of obsessing about what it is that Daniel is seeing here. So today, we're going to talk about just like four aspects of this throne room and this scene that Daniel sees. Um, but before we go into that, you know, it's important to note that this room, and by the way, Revelation tells us it's a room. Like if you look at Revelation 4, where this similar scene is described, there's a door. So the, there's a door that opens. This is a room of some sort. And as we look at this room, it's important to know that the Ancient of Days, the one sitting on the throne, this room is exactly how he wants it to be. This is the creator of all things. This is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the king of the universe. Nothing is, there's no, this couch is here. I think I'll move it over here. There's none of that. It is exactly how he spoke it into being with no mistake, no second thought. This room is exactly as he wanted it to be. And so we don't focus on it enough, I don't think. And, and I started to think, I was starting to just really ponder, why, do, why am I not focused in it. And, you know, as I speak to you today, I, I want to be really clear, like, I, I really feel like the Lord has brought my wife and I, along with my two daughters, into the bridge for just a period, period of time for us, very selfishly for, for us, kind of what we needed, because we're going on a particular journey right now. So the things that I say right now, I'm just going to share with you the things that I've been kind of working through and struggling with, and I'm going to hope that the Lord is aligning our paths, just like it, it seems like the last, I would say, 
dozen times that I've heard Randy speak, it was just, it was just for me. I don't know what y'all were listening to, but it was just like exactly where I was at. And so I think the Lord is doing something in the spirit amongst people and just bringing them together. So I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to speak to some of the things that I've been thinking through. One of them is why have I not pondered this room enough? And one of the reasons that I think I haven't is that the throne room feels very separated from my current reality. Um, the times when I look at the throne room, it's always surrounded by something that feels very past or very future. So if you think about like when it's mentioned in Revelation 4, remember it's like we, we see this throne room, but before that Jesus himself is, is addressing the seven churches and then John sees this throne room and then we start going into this kind of description of things that are happening in the future, maybe nearer future than we thought, but definitely future, right? And we've kind of thought about those in those terms. Daniel, in the same sense, when, when he is seeing this throne, right before he's seeing this very disturbing dream that is about kingdoms, both past and future, and now we see the throne, and now we dig more into the dreams that are kind of past and future, and we, we learn about those things. And so when I think about, like, why I haven't been why, why I haven't been pondering it, I, I think that in my mind, I've separated it uh, from the now. And, and I think this is why we need to focus on this room that Daniel sees starting in 7-9, because he is seeing very disturbing things. We learn later that they were incredibly disturbing to him. But the Lord shows him right before, hey, this is what's going on. This is the reality right now. And you see this description of him on the throne. And John is the same way. It's like, here's some stuff that we need to communicate, but before we roll out this whole plan and their seals and bowls and all this, just know this is what's going on. And I think it's really important for me to know that because the, the Ancient of Days, the one who sits on the throne, is there now, and he is in complete control. See, this world has a prince right now. And if I'm only looking at what's going on in the world, and I'm only fascinated by the things that the prince is in charge of, I'm going to lose sight of who is really in charge. And, and that, is a, that is a battle that we have to engage in as the church. We can't just be like, well, let's just see what happens. Like, we have to engage in this in some way, but we cannot ignore this world, and we cannot ignore his kingdom. The Ancient of Days on the throne is our present reality. He is there, and he is in complete, he's in complete, he's in complete control, excuse me. So are there horrible things happening today? Absolutely. And is the Lord allowing these things to happen in some way? Yes, he is. And that's a struggle, and we should struggle with it. It's okay to struggle with it. But that is why he wants our eyes on him. It is so easy for us to get offended by him not acting in the ways that we think that he should. And it's why he also shows Daniel that throne when he does, and why he shows John that throne when he does, because it is so easy for us to get, defended, or get offended. And he is saying to us, keep your eyes on me. This is what is happening really. And I'm in control of this whole thing. So don't lose sight of that. 
It's really important to be informed about what's going on, very informed. The men of Issachar were there for a reason, okay? So we need to make sure that we are remaining informed. But if you are watching just the news and you're determining everything by that, even if it's the news that you kind of like think is on your side, like whatever that is, but that is all you are doing, you are going to be obsessed with the prince of this world instead of the king of this universe. And we have to get obsessed with that one. So as we talk about this, as we talk about these four aspects that I kind of want to dig into today, uh, they're not exhaustive by any means, um, but it's a starting place, and it's kind of what, what I've been thinking about. So I want to talk about four aspects of, of this uh, throne room. It is a place of perfect equipping. It's a place of perfect strategy. It's a place of perfect justice. And it is a place of perfect grace. And we're going to look at a few things kind of throughout Scripture. Go ahead and, you know, keep Daniel 7 marked. We're going to, we're going to come back to it. Uh, and, and I'll read you where we're going to jump around to. So don't feel like you've got to flip all over the place. But first thing I want to get into is that it is a place of perfect equipping. So we're going to look at Isaiah 6. It's a very, you know, common passage. A lot of you know it very well. But I, I really want to dig into what happens in this moment. So Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, same throne, right? High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. A lot of us know this passage pretty well. We talk a lot about Isaiah's response to this calling. But I think one of the things I've become fascinated with in this moment is we, we see what we've also seen in Daniel and other places, right? We see this glorious throne room. We see all of this activity happening around the Ancient of Days. We see the heavenly host surrounding him. And we see all of these things happening. We see his glory and his righteousness. And we, we see everything as Isaiah describes it. And the response that Isaiah has to seeing this even is woe is me. Like he is seeing something. He knows he is an unclean individual. And just by seeing it, he should, he should not be there. He's in the wrong room. He's in the wrong body. He's somewhere wrong. He just shouldn't be there. And so the Lord responds to that and touches his lips 
And immediately he feels purified. And my favorite part of that is not the purification part. Remember, this is a man who felt he couldn't even look upon the Lord. And in the next statement, the Lord is asking questions. And this, this guy who wasn't good enough, he's talking with the Lord. He's, just, he's the one answering the question. And that's an amazing jump. I don't know that I've ever recognized how huge a jump it is. It's, I can't even look upon him and I need to run out of this room immediately. So now I'm just going to have a dialogue with you about what's next. That's an incredible amount of spiritual equipping that we must not take for granted. The Ancient of Days, the one upon the throne, will equip us for everything that is to follow. And the most glorious thing and the toughest thing that he could equip us for is actually seeing him. And we'll get into some of the steps we can take to do there. But because of that, he's, he's just perfectly equipped. He's ready to do what's next. That happens in that throne room. So this is a place of perfect equipping. Okay, Randy again. So do you understand why I was so frustrated? It was a great message and then it's gone. So I wanted to give you the first part of it. Also wanted to invite you to the bridge this weekend. Rachel Fa'agutu is continuing our series. Rachel normally leads worship for us. We are putting her up a little further forward, and she's going to speak on Sunday. She is a phenomenal teacher. Some of you have heard her. Some of you have only heard her lead worship. Let me tell you, you're only getting half of the whole enchilada, so you really want to come. Rachel Fagutu speaking at the bridge on Sunday, 10.30 a.m. at the Culture House. Hope to see you as we continue our series on voices. Have a great week.